Welcome to the Broadcast Dialogue podcast, the show all about the media industry in Canada. Get him out of here! Shoot! Come on! 30 years ago, the media were there, filming from behind the barricades when the army moved in on Kanasatage Mohawks, blocking the construction of a golf course on disputed land that included a burial ground. But the Mohawk threats and rifles had little effect on the soldiers. They continued to advance relentlessly throughout the day, and by evening they were here in the very center of the Ganasatagi encampment. They were at the edge of but the sacred But that Cemetery was then. As a protest on Wet'suwet'en territory in northern BC blocking the coastal gas link pipeline escalated this week, this is what RCMP told journalists on the scene. You have 10 minutes to depart this area in the police exclusion zone. I'm an accredited member of the media. I'm on assignment for vice. I'm being told if I don't leave the exclusion zone, I'm going to be arrested. They're arresting press. Yes, you yeah. will be. On this episode of Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast, our guest is Karen Pugliese, president of the Canadian Association of Journalists. She talks about the ongoing erosion of press freedom in Canada and what to do if your media outlet finds itself facing the threat of arrest. So my name is Karen Pugliese. I am currently the president of the Canadian Association of Journalists. I guess, you know, I went through journalism school like everybody else and was just hoping for a job. And I happened to get very lucky that my first job came to me. Aboriginal People's Television Network opened up right in Ottawa. They were looking for an Indigenous journalist. And there I was, an Indigenous journalist in need of a job. And, you know, I had a great time there. It was a small place and right away they were flying us up to Nunavut to Northwest Territories. I was right out of school. I was a Hill reporter. I stayed there for six years and from there I did some other things. I went to Vision TV, which was fabulous, where I did some investigative work. I went to iChannel, where I did a lot of politics, talk shows and uh, some documentary work. And for a brief while, I'd left journalism and I went into communications on the dark side, but not too dark uh, with the Assembly of First Nations. And then ultimately, I made my way back to APTN. And I was the executive director of News and Current Affairs there for seven years. Oh, and now I should say I'm in the U.S. I'm stateside for a bit. I was lucky enough to be the Martin Wise Goodman pick for the Neiman Journalism Fellowship 2020. So I'm studying here at Harvard and MIT, and at the same time, I'm teaching in at Ryerson University in Toronto, which will be my next gig. I want to start, Karen, by talking broadly about press freedom in Canada. Do you think this is something that's largely been taken for granted? Yes, I think it's been taken for granted, and I think it's been slowly sliding off. You know, it's interesting because, you know, I I spent a lot of time working with uh, Justin Brake, And he's the reporter, he was working for the Independent at the time, who was at Muskrat Falls uh, back in, I believe it was October 2016. And that was the night that the the families who were against the Muskrat Falls hydroelectric dam development, they'd been demonstrating and they broke a lock and they went on to Nelcor property. And he had to make a decision whether or not to follow the story. And so he decided to go with them. I would have done the exact same thing. Um, at the time, I was working for APTN, and I just didn't have any reporters on the ground. If they had have asked me, 
I just said, yeah, yeah, go. It never would have occurred to me not to. I grew up, and while I was in journalism school, that's when Kinesitagi happened in 1990. And all the reporters were behind the lines. Uh, some of the most significant journalism, I think, that like impacted me as to what journalism can do to really tell a story happened behind those lines. Alanis is a bomb, a bomb swims documentary on the Kinesitagi resistance really impacted me. And the point of view that you get when you're able to cross back and forth between the two sides of the stories. So of course he did that. And it was a shock to see the Crown press charges against him. I don't think a lot of Canadians know that Canada barely makes the top 20 on the Reporters Without Borders Press Freedom Index. You mentioned Justin, who's still facing a criminal charge for his coverage of that Muskrat Falls protest. But Vice and Ben McCouche were compelled to hand over notes to the RCMP. When, when did this relationship between journalists and the police start to deteriorate? Or do you think it was always oppositional? That's a, a really good question. Uh, you know, I've been on barricades and blockades myself. And I mean, it, people can't see me, but I'm a, a tiny woman, <laughs> five foot tall. And uh, when I was out reporting and on the barricades, I probably weighed 90 pounds wet. And then I'd be carrying around the big camera. And I think I just had uh, maybe a different look or, you, you know, um, something that the mostly, it's mostly male police that are out there. They really didn't mess with me too much. And so it's hard to say if that was just the way it was or if something about being sort of a petite, non-threatening, white-passing journalist, you know, affected the way that they treated me. I've wondered about that. It seemed to me when I was going through journalism school that we were really well-trained about how to interact with police. We would say, well, okay, the police asked me to move back. You know, should I do it? What happens in this scenario? What are our rights on a crime scene? What should we do? What shouldn't we do? And we're always told if you... If there's a reason for you to be there, if it's in the public interest, if you're not interfering with police, if you're not doing something to incite the situation, like sometimes you bring in the cameras and people start acting for the cameras and start, you know, changing what they're doing and becoming more aggressive because the cameras are on them. You're you're trained, you know, this is an ethical thing. You turn that off because you're becoming the story. And so we were trained how to act around police and we're told everything would just be fine. And I believe that the, pe- the experienced journalists that were teaching us that, I believe that had been their, ex- their genuine experience. So yeah, it seems to be new. When did you first become aware that journalists were being threatened with arrest in northern BC? I first became aware of it uh, through Ethan Cox from uh, Rico- Ricochet. What had happened, it, at first it wasn't arrest, it was access, because the police had been allowing in media so long as they had credentials. And I believe it was Tuesday night or Wednesday night. Jerome had left and he was trying to get back in. And all of a sudden he gets to the checkpoint and the RCMP officer saying he can't go in. But he's got the same credentials, everything that he had, you know, the last time he was in. And so uh, it was getting late. And I know uh, Ethan spent... Uh, He told me he spent hours on the phone just calling around every office, every number that he had for every RCMP officer in BC. And he finally hit one and that person said they would call the checkpoint and tell them to let Jerome in. And they did. 
so that was the first thing that kind of, you know, prickled us a little bit, like something's changed. And we're, you know, you, you get a feeling that you kind of start watching for these changes. And because of what happened last year, and we can talk about that a little bit maybe later, this situation really had, you, you know, the, the hair in the back of our neck sticking up that the police could turn on us at some point. So the next thing that happened was yesterday when Kevin Winters, who's a freelancer for Vice, started tweeting that the police were directing what he and there was um, not working with him, but there was another media person there, uh, American, named Bunker Seifert, and he's from Mutual Aid Media. And the two of them were being told what they could shoot, what they couldn't shoot. So sometimes the police were standing in front of them and just blocking them with their bodies. And sometimes they were telling them they were arresting a female protester and they said, do not shoot that or we will arrest you. And when they were going to take pictures of uh, the guns that the police had, they were like, do not take photos of that. We will arrest you. And then there's this moment and we tweeted out this video that uh, Bunker got where Kevin has just been told he's going to be arrested. And Bunker says, what just happened? Can you repeat that? And Kevin says, well, I'm a media reporter. I'm here with all my credentials. I'm covering this for Vice. And they just told me that they're going to arrest me. And the police officer chimes in and says, that's right. If you don't leave in 10 minutes, we're going to arrest you. I'm, I'm paraphrasing a bit, but it's pretty much that. And, you know, Bunker's an American. He's just like, they're arresting the media? And he sounds incredulous. So the other thing that happened is at the same time, I'm back in touch with Ethan Cox, and he put up, on his Twitter feed, a letter that he got from the RCMP saying that his journalist was in this exclusion zone and was going to be told to leave. And if after being told to leave, he didn't, he would be arrested and removed. Back to the other two, Bunker and Kevin, they're told to move back, move back, move back until they basically can't see or shoot anything, but they comply with what the police are telling them to do to get out of the way, even though they're not really in the way. So them being told to move back, we think, is just basically the police trying to make it impossible for them to film. And then ultimately, the police tell them they're not under arrest, but they do detain them, put them in a car, and drive them out of the area several kilometers away to the next town and leave them in a parking lot um, outside of Wendy's or something, um, which they had to negotiate because they didn't know where the police were going to bring them. So I, the story that I was told by Bonkers that you said, well, how about Wendy's? We're hungry. <laughs> So, I mean, all they're removed now. And so now we're all focused on Jerome. Is he going to be arrested? And so I was convinced this was going to happen. I was waiting for it. I was also in touch with Michael, who's a documentary maker, who's been sending me a lot of updates. And he was kind of giving me the scene there. And I was asking him, how many journalists are there? Um, who's small media? And do they have lawyers? And, you know, and, and so then I was trying to, like, just email every lawyer I knew to say, is there somebody who will take a pro bono case in D.C. if one of these guys get arrested? Because some of them don't have, you know, like the, the machine behind them to protect them. That's right. And I, I think there used to be a larger budget in a lot of newsrooms to confront situations like this. But I don't know that that's the case anymore. You know, and this is one of the things that I kind of take to heart. Like, look, I was the executive director of news and current affairs at APTN. We're not the richest media. But I had a CEO 
that had my back. And uh, we did an intervention on the Justin Brake case. And he had my back and he said, spend the money. When we had people who were sending us nuisance letters and threatening to sue us, he backed us up and said, cite them. We don't back down because if you back down, then we have to back down on everything. We weren't wrong. We're not backing down. And so if I had called it and sent one of my reporters in, I know he would have had my back and said, I'll find you a million dollars to take this to court. But there came a time last year in 2019 when the police were executing a similar injunction. They set up an exclusion zone. And at that time, they would not let media, it was, um, I think, more than 20 kilometers away. And so they set up a checkpoint there and they said media can't go by. And I had this scrappy reporter who's wonderful, Kathleen Martins, who had gotten there and was told that she, if she stepped across the line, she would be arrested. Uh, their media relations person at the RCMP wasn't answering their phone. Uh, they were somewhere, <laughs> the one person that you could talk to was somewhere out of like a cellular zone. So they, they weren't getting a signal. And then anybody else I called at the RCMP wasn't replying to me. And so she was like, do I cross the line? And even with all that backup that I had, and even the fact that like, I'm, I, you know, I'm a fighter too. I actually backed down and I told Kathleen not to do it. I already had one reporter, because Justin Brake had come to work for us, that was facing charges. And you start thinking, I'm responsible for this person. What if I tell them to do this and then they end up in jail? And they can say, well, I don't care. I'll do it. I'll fight it. But at the end, I'm not the one who's who's taking that pain on. If it was me, I would have crossed the line, but I can be responsible for myself. And so, you know, even when you have the money, when the police misuse their powers like this, it's a tough decision on whether or not you're going to fight it. I want to come back to that, but I know you've been in touch with the RCMP or the Canadian Association of Journalists has. What's your understanding of, of, of what's happening? I, I haven't been in touch with them this time. Uh, we've had the, like, we've had the letters going back. Like, nobody was in touch with them because uh, they weren't responding. Like, they even got two letters out of them. But even uh, Emma Gilchrist and at Narwhal, she was trying to reach them too. Reporters were trying to reach them all day and they just weren't returning phone calls. So I don't know what's going through their head. But what I can say is that the letter that Ethan got came from high up and the people on the ground were executing. So it was coordinated decision to keep media away. But since you've had a letter saying that they will not interfere with journalists doing their jobs. Mm -hmm. That came um, actually to us because they were responding to uh, Ethan. And so that was a complete reversal. That came in late last night. So I was still talking to journalists and we're trying to figure out if the police were going to move in. We're trying to figure out if Jerome's going to be arrested. He was at a different spot than uh, Michael and Bunker were. They were in at Unistoten. And so we're like, okay, when are the police moving in there? Where are the police moving in? <laughs> like, who's the journalist who they're going to arrest? And some of the journalists were saying, uh, like, were telling me that they were in a pack and if the police told them to stop shooting, they were shooting in terms of filming. Um, they were going to keep filming. And and so I was like, okay, they sound like they're not backing down, so something's going to happen. And then out of the blue, Ethan says, I got a response from the RCMP. And it's this letter 
that says, we recognize media rights. We're going to make sure that you're able to do your jobs and uh, do them safely. We're going to get you, let you get as close as you can to observe what we're doing. You just have to do all the things that you're supposed to do. Don't interfere with us and um, give us the space to do our jobs and we'll give you the space to do yours. How hard was that? Why, why wasn't that just what he did in the first place? So what's your understanding now of what the situation is? Those reporters are still outside the exclusion zone? Um, the two reporters, last I talked to them, who had been driven out. Now, I haven't talked to them since uh, last night. Kevin and Bunker were outside the exclusion zone. And I, last night, they weren't clear if they were going to try to get back in. And from the letter, it kind of indicates that there's something, there's a line in there that the RCMP say, and forgive me, I don't have it in front of me, but paraphrasing is that it's sort of like the media that who are already there will be allowed to get close. They don't say anything about the media outside being able to come back in. So I don't know how that's going to work. They may not let the media back in. I'm not sure. Do you think that threatening reporters with arrest ultimately takes away from the story? Yes. You know, we're not supposed to be the the story. It, it, the story is supposed to be what's happening down in the community. It's supposed to be about the pipeline. It's supposed to be about the. It's supposed to be about the public interest in what's happening to Canada, and how we're making decisions and how we're executing those decisions, and are we doing the right thing? And those are the questions that uh, Canadians have to ask themselves. I I don't give them answers. I just say this is what's happening. And it's up to Canadians to decide what they want to think. So that's the public interest that's supposed to be there. But when the RCMP does this, um, this becomes the public interest. Because if you're going to silence the free expression of journalists, I mean, that is, once you, you silence us, it becomes so easy to silence everybody else. And so then that becomes the story and that becomes the public interest, is that the RCMP are misusing their powers, you know, for PR purposes to stop information from getting out to the public and to silence free expression in Canada. And that becomes the story. But it has to become the story. It's not the way uh, it should be, but it's what they created. It's, it's what became the story ultimately, at least for the last 24 hours, because the principle of free expression is a democracy. It's constitutionally protected. It's one of the things that we hold dear. It's what makes democracy function. Do you think there's been less public outrage than you'd anticipate with some of these high-profile events? And, and do you think the rise of fake news has potentially opened the door for more authoritarian behavior like this? Yeah, you know, I, I was wondering about that, too, because there's been that whole trend that, that sort of bled into Canada from the U.S. with uh, the president calling media the enemy of the people and this sort of disparaging talk about media. And not just, you know, the, the usual criticism that is fair that you can get, but almost like there's a subtext of hating media, you know, um, that goes beyond just whether or not we're doing our job as well as we could, that media is somehow this this criminal or dirty thing but it's a minority you know this one caused a fair amount of outrage um because i think you know ethan kicked in emma kicked in from the narwhal and kevin was tweeting about it from vice and so it it sort of caught on we had that great video that uh bunker sent us 
from mutual aid media, media that we were able to put up so people could see really that the, the journalists were not interfering with the police. The police were interfering with the journalists. And I, I still got, like, if they're still retweeting, like, my Twitter feed is just full of people still retweeting all these items that we put out. And most of the comments are very supportive. So I think there's a loud minority. You know, most of them are, like, I don't know, uh, eggs on Twitter, like people without real names and small followings. Uh, they may be bots who are sort of pushing back. But, I mean, who, like, who thinks that free expression is a bad idea? Who thinks that democracy is a bad idea? <laughs> who thinks that knowing what's happening is a bad idea? So I actually have been very hopeful over the last 24 hours by the absolute support that I've seen pouring in for these journalists. If you're a reporter or a news director, for that matter, who finds themselves or one of their staffers in a situation like this, what are their rights and what's the best approach to take? Going back, we, we always had the right to be present. Um, you know, I, we put out a statement and we mentioned in that that if you think of the, the conflict that happened at Kanesatagi in 1990, where the Haudenosaunee people were blocking a golf course from being constructed on their graveyard, and eventually the, the police moved in and then the army moved in, reporters were right front and center there. And that's the way it should be. What happened with Justin Brake was the Crown pressing charges against him for going in and basically doing exactly what those reporters did back in 1990. We were doing the same thing, but they were trying to change the rules. What came out of that case? They, they laid criminal charges and they laid civil charges against him. So the civil charges, they lost and Justin Brake was victorious. And what the court determined was that journalists have a right to be present if it's a matter of public interest. And so it, basically you can't just go into somebody's house. There has to be a public interest in it. You can't interfere with police. Well, we always knew that. You don't jump under yellow lines. You don't get in front of a police officer who's doing a perp walk and block their way. So you don't interfere with the police actions and you let them do the actions. You're there as an observer. You also don't interfere by supporting the protesters or, um, in some cases, I guess, the criminals or whoever they're arresting. So there's non-interference. So the courts made it clear in that case that those are media rights. Having said that, they're also pressing criminal charges. Now, the criminal charges of trespassing, they dropped because the decision in the first case basically made it impossible for them to win trespassing charges. So now they've got this charge of mischief. And what they're saying is they're saying that his presence caused damage. So this would be, I I think he's going to win on this one. And I'll talk about that just in a second. But basically what they're saying is that also if you're on these lines, you can't damage something. So don't take a hammer and start breaking things. Don't throw things, you know. Now, having said that, Brake did none of that. So I'm sure he's going to win this case too. What they're kind of saying is that his presence held up the company and caused something like five or $6,000 worth of damages and delays. I don't think he did. <laughs> so uh, the court has to hear that case still. Um, that one's still before the courts. But I mean, it, it goes back to, you know, the, the very early things that I was taught in J school. This is what the rules always were. So the courts have basically reaffirmed what we knew the, the rules were. Is there anything else you want to add, Karen? I think it's just 
really important. You know, I I get because sometimes I'll get a little bit of pushback when I put things out, and people will say, you know, journalism is not all that great, and it's like, well, let's talk about that and let's make it better. But we need journalism. There's no doubt about that. Democracies need journalism. It's important always to remember that you don't have free expression because you're in a democracy. You have a democracy because you had free expression. So that comes first, and media is a part of that. Well said, Karen. Thanks so much for joining us. Okay, thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Broadcast Dialogue. For more information about the podcast or to receive exclusive access to our weekly briefing about the Canadian media industry, visit us at broadcastdialogue.com. Don't forget to like us on Facebook, connect with us on LinkedIn, and follow us on Twitter and SoundCloud. I'm Andrea Askowitz. And I'm Allison Langer. And we are the hosts of Writing Class Radio, a podcast, but we are so much more. We have writing classes. So if you are looking for live online classes where you can join a community, write to a prompt, get feedback, and get better, check out all our classes at writingclassradio.com. And listen to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts and at writingclassradio.com.